This is Keaton DC with Max and Brent, unlocking the market on the district's first real estate podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Max Raven and Brent Jackson. So today we have Jim Bell. Jim's a 15-year veteran in the real estate industry. He's one of the first agents I remember meeting actually when I first started. He's closed a lot of deals, over 500 million total in real estate transactions in his career. Vast knowledge and experience in the city. He's been dubbed a power broker by Washington Life Magazine, one of America's best real estate agents, which is by Real Trends in the Wall Street Journal. And he's also heavy into philanthropy. He's doing stuff with the Washington National Opera, Food and Friends, Martha's Table. This guy is out there. He's a beast in the industry. He's also dubbed the king of Calorama. So Jim Bell is a titan in DC real estate. He's been through it all. He's been a mortgage lender. He's been a broker, sales agent, all of it. Jim, welcome. Thank you, gentlemen. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. We're glad to have you on here. I want to go straight into king of Calorama. First of all, Let's yes. let our listeners first know what Calorama even is, because it's one of those things, like if you're from D.C., it's like, oh, Calorama. But it, right. if anyone else is listening, what Calorama, explain. Go ahead. So Calorama is basically, to people that are not from D.C., it's Embassy Row. It's where most of the embassies are, ambassadors, residents, and things like that. It's very sought after a neighborhood. There are six or seven living and former presidents who've lived in the neighborhood as well. So it, it's a pretty cool spot to be. Yep. That's awesome. Right, that's where Obama's house is in Calorama. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Uh, Ivanka Trump was there. Right. They were renting, as we know. Right. right. So I'm not even the king of my household. I'm not sure how you got to be the king of an entire prestigious yeah. neighborhood there. How does this happen? So, of course, it was over a cocktail party in the neighborhood. <laughs> and friends of mine were having a housewarming. They just finished renovating their house on Wyoming Avenue. And there was a bunch of us over there. And as I'm walking in the front door, a couple of the guys said, here he is, the king of Calorama. And it stuck. I mean, it really stuck over the years. You jokingly say it, but um, it's, it's really stuck as a very cool sort of nickname to have in Washington real estate. That's for sure. And I think some of the publications have picked up on it, right? Like some of the Correct. news outlets and magazines. Right. Like, I mean, you're legitimately known as the king of Calorama. Right. And it's quite the kingdom. <laughs> so, it is. Legit. Quite the price point. But yes. Also, it should also be mentioned like Jeff Bezos's DC houses. Correct. There, It's monstrous property right. that he's been renovating. Right. And I, full disclosure, did not sell him that house. Uh, how could you not have? How could you not have sold him that house? Did Jesus. not sell him that house, but it it started in jest and it really stuck, and it's been a really great privilege to have such a nice nickname. Well, I mean, I'm just going through your sales for the past couple of years, so you've got several, so it seems to be correct. So we'll go with that. Yes. So backing up just a little bit, Jim, why don't you uh, tell our audience how did you get into real estate? So my journey into real estate was a little different than most folks. I started life professionally as an assistant mortgage-backed securities trader coming out of college. And if those of you who don't know what a mortgage-backed security is, that is your, your mortgage. And mortgages are bought and sold on the bond market. So as I left college, an opportunity that was given to me was learning 
the basically the more expect security or the bond market. And I was an assistant trader, not a trader. And that's how I started in the business was really on the banking side. I went from, from that position to working closely with Fannie Mae. I was a Fannie Mae underwriter at a certain point. And then uh, leaving Atlanta, moved up here to D.C., was head of First Union's Mortgage Division here in DuPont Circle. Uh, it sounds like a big title, but there were only six people in the entire company at that point. So oh. being head of that division was, you know, uh, over six people. It was, uh, but it was right in DuPont Circle. And this was in probably in early 90s. And development in Washington had not even really started east of 16th Street, Northwest. Right. Right. Um, so it was really pivotal time. I was very fortunate to have friends socially that were coming into the Clinton administration. And so I gave mortgages to all of the incoming Clinton folks, including Stephanopoulos and blah, blah, blah. And that really created a cornerstone for me, both having White House access for both parties from this point on. and kind of being in that process. Uh, I was in the mortgage side for about 10 or 12 years, did $500 million in mortgage production, and then took all of those people to the real estate broker side. Right. Because I basically had their trust. And, and you guys know me well enough that trust is a huge foundation point for me professionally and personally. So that part of it uh, was a great stepping stone into the real estate business. Well, I date back to about when you got into the real estate sales side. And I I can say that it was a little controversial. I was so new to the business. I was like, well, I don't know what's going on. And they're Some like, people what? still don't speak to me. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Right. Yeah. So did, did you roll right into, because I mean, most agents starting out, it's like you're happy to get a parking spot for sale. But I mean, you're rolling in like with high dollar net worth people I did. straight right. into Calorama. I mean, that, that's yep. impressive. Pretty much. I think my first year I did over 10 million. Um, back then, it was a pretty good number. That's a lot. But, but Max will mention that I was not making friends by coming from the mortgage side into the real estate side. You obviously had some really terrific people that welcomed me into the business, but it was it was definitely uh, competitive to say the least. Well, yeah. to be to be noted, really importantly, the the industry as a whole in DC was much smaller then. I mean, it was a few brokers, a few agencies that were doing, a, you know, a lot of top dollar volume stuff. And so here you come, you know, with a great client list, you know, from the mortgage side and a lot of agents who had, you know, helped you earn that business were kind of like, well, how can you do this? And it's like, well, it's welcome to earth, you know, <laughs> like just, right. you know. Right. And, you know, I've, as I told them and I still tell people, to this day, one of the most important things to remember about the business, there's plenty of business for everybody. You can be as aggressive as you want or not, but always remember that there's there's plenty of business for everybody out there to have a really good slice of the business. So, And, and if you weren't doing good business for them before and earning their trust to begin with, I mean, they wouldn't be, become your yeah. clients and remain your clients. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So No, it doesn't matter. Well, diving a little bit more into that, Jim, you and I have spoken in the past. I mean, trust is one of your biggest assets that you have going for right. you. I mean, how do you earn these people's trust? If you want to share a story on how you earn people's trust? I think 
one of the most important elements of my business is dealing with very public people, but in a very private way. And that is uh, a big segment of my business. It's it's the business you don't talk about. It's the very private business, uh, again, of very public people, people who are very well known. And to gain that privacy typically starts with a word or mouth referral from someone else that they happen to privately know. And those people have also trusted you through this because let's, let's remember everybody needs a place to sleep and everybody needs a place to feed their kids or their dogs. And everybody needs a place to feel safe. We're all people. And that has been a cornerstone of my business through the years is to remember who they are as people not as who they are as their position, because these positions come and go. Well, that's a very DC thing to talk about. You're saying these are very public individuals, and but who would prefer their personal dealings to be as private as possible. It's it it, it varies quite a bit from your Hollywood or maybe the South Beach vibe. Like DC has a lot of individuals who would just rather mm-hmm. keep it keep it under Correct. wraps a little bit. Yeah, right, right. right. Yeah, just diving a little bit deeper. I mean, I think you told me a story once that you can really gain a person's trust by going into their kitchen or their dining room. I don't remember which one it was, but I mean, I was fascinated because like... Right. One of the cornerstones that Max mentioned, and Max, let's go right into the story. Yeah, that's... That's a perfect example. That's a perfect example because (laughs) I don't know if you had my trust at that point, right? So it's I earned it, but I earned it. You did. You know, I was dating someone. uh, I had a new newish girlfriend, and you were like, "You have to cook for." Max, you had so many girlfriends. Thank you. Now my current girlfriend's hearing this, going like, "You (laughs) asshole." Yeah. So, um, but. You know, you're like you have to cook for. I mean, that's romantic. Yeah. That's that's yeah. wonderful. And I was like, I, I I could sort of cook. And you're like, what can you really cook? I mean, you have you have an attitude, which I have to. I want the audience to know you have an attitude. And you're like, what can you really cook, Max? Some, you know, something to that effect. I was like, all right, fine. You know, yeah. yeah. So you told me what to get. I think we did like uh, ribeye, bone-in ribeye. Yep. Is that yep. something like yep. that, right? On with the uh, on butter. the skillet with butter, yes. really hot skillet. Yep. And a tomatillo salsa. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, you see, my, see the memory here? You oh, see, yes. It's still here. I'm getting right? hungry. And it's still good. And it's yeah. still good. And, yes. it, and she liked it. It, it's, it all was, it went well that evening. Yeah. So I earned his trust. That's right. So what typically happens, especially with a lot of my clients, if they trust you enough to engage you for the first discussion, you don't go to the living room, you go to the kitchen and you sit in the kitchen and the kitchen table is a foundation location of trust for many, many people and many, many families uh, around the world. But in my case, it was definitely based on clients of a particular profile who needed my trust more than, uh, let's say, just a normal client. And you sit around the kitchen table and you, you, you eat or you drink, and that's a big foundation point was, uh, as they say, you don't eat or drink with people you don't trust. You just don't do that. Do other things with them, but you don't do that. And that allowed me to create the media project I have now, which is called James of All Kitchen Table, which we listen to uh, the stories of chefs around the country and how they created 
basically their professional lives started around their family's kitchen table and how they blossomed from that. So, you know, a lot of my life is storytelling. And as you guys both will attest, a lot of our job is listening to people, right? listening to their stories. And by listening to them, then you gain their trust. And I think trust, especially these days, given, you know, how fragile uh, that subject is with the internet and being online or not, you know, you can, you can blow it in two seconds flat by having a bad social media post or just a nuance in the wrong direction and it's gone. So, yeah. Well, so yeah. tell me, tell me about the James Bell kitchen table. So that's uh, sort of like a side project that you're doing. So, you know, you're a very successful broker in DC. So you're, you're using a lot of the typical marketing avenues. I'm sure you send mailers to your areas that you like to work in and you're using social media to show your listings and everything. Are you using this James Bell kitchen table also in your social media to try to like, you know, work this in or is this, is, is it just all passion or tell us more about that? James Bell kitchen table, I think is about 10 or 15% or 20% marketing and real estate only because food connects people and you happen to have a kitchen in everything we sell mm-hmm. period. So it's right. the heart of the home. It's uh, where the, you know, especially with COVID everybody comes together. We've been living in this space so it's a little bit of that. I think you have to establish a commonality with your clients and your friends. But I also think you need to show people you have an outside life. Yeah. And this is really a passion project of mine is to listen to the stories that these people have. Um, because in the past, no one has listened to them. Yeah. And uh, the James Beard Foundation is considering a grant for us, which would be terrific wow. to really grow awesome. the storytelling project of James Bell Kitchen Table because so many chefs, they're aging out. People don't cook like they used to. Sure. So we're losing so many really wonderful uh, culinary masters in this country. Well, not to mention the restaurant industry in general right. has really taken a huge hit over the last year. Right. Some so. people have retired. Some people lost yeah. their restaurants. Yeah. I, I don't know. Thousands of restaurants have closed because of COVID. So I think what I'm doing is you guys uh, probably remember the episode China that we just dropped uh, about a Chinese immigrant family who opened a restaurant in Warrington, Virginia, mm-hmm. um, making homemade really great homemade old school Chinese food and dumplings. It's a great immigration story. It's a great story about a a small restaurant. It's a great story about small business and it it relates to people, but it also helps them. Their, their business has doubled since I dropped that on social media. And every time I do an episode, the the byproduct is to increase business for these people. I don't get anything. I don't get anything out of it other than uh, the joy of sharing their story. And I think that makes me a better person as a human being. Uh, That's awesome. It makes me better at my job, but it also makes, uh, it makes everybody happy. When you watch it, you enjoy it. I think China, at the last time we looked, we had about 12,000 views, uh, the video which isn't bad just for a little social media project. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And uh, two weeks from now, we're doing our first one from New York. So it'll be live from New York uh, with James Hill Kitchen Table. Yeah. 
Well, I'm a little just jealous. To- I've, I've been in New York and forever now. So is this your first time going back to New York since the this is my pandemic? first time? And we have we were cooking in a warehouse because most of the restaurants in Manhattan were closed in a wow. quote unquote undisclosed location. <laughs> so, sure. Yeah, but it was great, and you know, it's it's uh, I'm looking forward to that. But it, it's really connective tissue between me as a person and my clients, but it also in real estate, people have kitchens. They mostly cook. So you can relate to people that way. Absolutely. Yep. Not to put you on a spot a little bit, but I will. What are you more passionate about here? Real estate or kitchen table? Kitchen table. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it makes me really happy. I mean, real estate, the, the people side of real estate makes me really happy. The thing that uh, real estate is a very tough business. You guys know that. So do I wake up every single day loving this? Absolutely not. Do I love the people in our business? Absolutely. And that that keeps me going. Very well that said. Yeah. So Jim, along the same lines as your passion project, James Bell Kitchen Table, you're very philanthropic. You're on the board of many different organizations. Yes. So my philanthropic passions are illustrated in my new website, jimbell.co. But just to go through a few of them that I'm particularly proud of, I will rejoin the board of the Washington National Opera in May of this year. So I'm uh, thrilled to be chosen for that board. It's one of the most prestigious in the country. I was on the board of the opera back in 2007 or eight. Uh, So to be asked to rejoin the board is pretty special. I have also worked a lot with not being on the board, but uh, a lot with Martha's Table, which is a wonderful organization here in Washington. I was on the board of the Starlight Children's Foundation, uh, which was a great board to be on to help children in uh, intensive care units throughout the country. I was on the board of the Georgetown Club in Georgetown, which we helped rehabilitate that club and get it back on its feet. And also on the American Institute of Architects, I was on their board recently, uh, the, the DC version, not the national chapter. So just want to make that clear, but the philanthropic side of what I do is a very important balance to my life. That's for sure. That's impressive. That's a lot of hours to be, you know, focusing on the decision-making for those boards. I mean, that's, that's major stuff. I think when you, Max, I think you, you know, this yourself because you, you help a lot of people out giving to people, you get it back tenfold. So Mm -hmm. how has this shaped your business in real estate? I think it's continued to grow it in some cases slowly. I mean, I'm not in that room as a real estate developer or a real estate broker. That's not something that I bring to any board position. And I think you know me well enough by now. I don't define myself as a real estate broker. I am my person. And one of my jobs is being a real estate broker. But another one of my jobs is helping people through either my passion project or through sitting on on boards. So I think not everything I do is for business. Uh, It's just not. That's not who I am. So. Well, that's that's interesting you say that because a couple of years ago, I was thinking about getting on the board for another charitable organization. And I talked to another agent who was working as a board member there. And I wanted to talk to him about the ins and outs of it. And he explained, he's like, 
number one thing is you have to be passionate about this cause. It is not about your networking or anything like that. It has to be something you truly want to work on and believe in because that's what's going to come first. And you know, this, this one particular charity was involved with children. He's like, the children should be your number one concern. And it's a lot of hours, you know, it can be, those can be long meetings. And uh, it was really helpful to understand that because it was something that was very new to me. You know, so you, I mean, that's incredible. You have a lot of energy for that philanthropy because it's, it is a lot of work and, you know, it takes some dedication. The, the results most of the time are pretty amazing. One of the things that still surprises me that, to this day is that those people that you're helping, they're often surprised that they're receiving your help. And that's, from Jameswell Kitchen Table all the way down to pretty much everything uh, you're doing, people are surprised that there are people there to help other folks, you know? So, Jim, uh, Max, I think you're a broker as well. I'm a broker. Jim, you're a broker. Maybe all of our listeners don't understand what that actually means. If you can educate our listeners, what does it mean to be a, a broker within a brokerage? So, to be a broker within a brokerage, you're technically an associate broker. And that means you've got additional years of experience and training to qualify for the position of being a broker. It's almost like being a partner at a law firm, but we're not partners of TTR, but we're certainly people that are legally qualified to lead and run our own business. And Max, you certainly run your own business and Brent, you were on your own business as well. So within a real estate office, you're certainly qualified legally to do that. Yeah. I, what I prefer about having the broker designation is a, it, it, it is like an extra level of, at least for the public, they, they know that we have another level of expertise and education they, if the, for the people that do know it. And then yep. also, you know, I don't know, it's a, I guess it's another level of respect in the uh, work environment too. I mean, we generally have more knowledge, so that's a great thing. Right. Yeah. And Jim, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, Max, you might get this asked from time to time, but on a regular basis, whether it's buyers, sellers, or agents in the community, they always ask, where are you going to open your own brokerage? And I mean, Jim, you had the, the passion to open up your own brokerage, if you want to tell us a little bit about that. But let's save that until next week's episode. Sounds great. Thanks for listening to Keaton DC with your hosts, Max and Brent. Unlocking the market on the district's first real estate podcast. Remember to subscribe to Keaton DC on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. Follow us on Instagram at Raven Max and at Brent E. Jackson. And follow Max on TikTok at Maxwell Raven underscore properties. Oh, <laughs>